All right, well, good morning. Uh, hope you guys are doing well. We've got a few people here. Uh, most of you are at home. So hopefully we'll have uh, everything back next week uh, with everyone here. Um, things seem like they're progressing around the building as we walked around this morning. And so hopefully by next week we'll all be able to gather back together. Um, but we are thankful that we were able to, to get things going pretty quickly and get things cleaned up and um, all of that. So hopefully you guys are doing well at home. If you do have any needs, feel free to give us a call and we'd be happy to come and, and help meet those needs uh, for you this week. Um, well, this week uh, we are starting a new series. If you see the slide up on your screen, Galatians uh, is the book that we are going to be beginning this week. We're supposed to begin that last week, but of course we had to, to cancel in-person services because of the snow, and, and now this week we have this massive flood. So it seems like, you know, someone does not want us to start this series, but we are starting this series here this morning. And so for the next several uh, months, really, we were going to be working through the book of Galatians uh, with the idea that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And you'll have a good idea of what that means by the time we end this morning. So this morning we are in Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to read 1 through 10 this morning, and uh, then we will we'll pray and we'll dive into this message. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. God, we come to you this morning thankful for this opportunity to gather together, um, some here, but mainly virtual, Lord. We thank you for technology and the opportunity for us to do this. We thank you for providing this company that is able to restore our building and just the work and the progress that we have made this coming week. And Lord, we thank you that we are able to, to sing and to read scripture and to hear the preached word this morning, God. And Lord, as we do that, as we begin this series in the book of Galatians, God, we ask that you would help us to understand that Jesus plus nothing really does equal everything. Help us to have a good grasp of the gospel and why that message gives us hope. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, why shouldn't we change the gospel? That's going to be our 
question that we're asking. And at times, change can be a good thing. I know that, that it was, for me, over a decade ago, I made a change. I moved to the DFW Metroplex. And growing up, I never thought that, that Dallas would be a place in which I would live. But the opportunity presented itself, and, and, I, and I took it. And, and I know, and I not only took the opportunity because I thought that it helped me advance my career, but it gave me this opportunity to work on my relationship with the Lord. You see, starting afresh can be a good thing. It can, it can kickstart the change in your life that we need or, or take the change that we have experienced over the last couple of days, right? I mean, we were in, in, in freezing conditions. Uh, I woke up uh, one morning when, when the pipes burst here. Uh, my phone said negative one degrees. Yesterday, and I was sitting on my back porch without a jacket on. I'm reading. I mean, it, it, was, it was great. You see, change can be a great thing. But change is not always a good thing. You know, change is not always for the better, especially when it involves our core beliefs. You see, our, our core beliefs determine how we, how we act. You know, it, it undergirds our behavior. And if we change our core beliefs, our, our behavior, our actions are going to change as well. And that's exactly what's taking place in our country right now, right? I mean, change is, is, is occurring. And as you watch things occur, I want you to notice that, that the change in thought that is taking place, that, that, is being, that is drastically different over the last, you know, several months in our country and even before that, that the change in thought that is being pressed into our country is going to change our behavior. And so I want you to watch that as this change gets, gets put out there. And sometimes change is, is a good thing, you know, right? Particularly when it, when it involves uh, race relations, right? Division, disunity should not occur just because somebody's skin color is different than another person's. Nor should people be treated differently just based on the color of their skin. So, so some of the change that we have seen over this last year, some of the change that is going to continue is going to be good but change, especially change just for change's sake, is not always a good thing. That's especially true when it comes to the gospel. The gospel must stay the same because the gospel is what undergirds our faith. You see, if you change the gospel, then our faith is going to change and our actions are going to change. Now, Paul, he, he's the writer of this letter to the Galatians. And Paul is, is writing to the Galatians because he sees a change that is taking place in those churches there in Galatia. There were some in the churches who had distorted the gospel. They were changing the gospel. And Paul did not want those folks in those churches to be deceived by those people who have come in and begin to distort the gospel. And so he writes this letter to the Galatians. He writes this letter to address this problem that is taking place in the church. He's, he, he calls out the false teachers that are there, as well as he begins to explain the gospel to them. And that's where we're going to begin our series today. We're going to begin by talking about the gospel. And so I don't want to assume that, that we all understand what the gospel is when I, when I say that word. And so what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is just simply shorthand for good news. And we have all experienced good news before. When I lived in Fort Worth, I had to go and to the dermatologist and get some precancerous cells uh, removed. And 
And if you've ever had a surgery like that where you had some sort of precancerous cells that were there, or even the word cancer was mentioned at all, um, and then the word biopsy afterwards was going to take place, you know that you're anxiously awaiting the results back. And, and so I went in, I had the, had the surgery, I had some stuff cut out, uh, and then they, they sent that off for a biopsy to check to make sure that they got everything and that there really wasn't any cancer there. And so over the next week, I anxiously awaited until I received that phone call. And, and thankfully, when they, when they called, uh, they said, hey, we got everything, there's nothing left, and, and nothing came back, back cancerous, we don't need to do anything. Now, hearing that was, was amazing news. It was, it was good news. Um, and I'm sure that if you've received news like that, that was good news to you as well. Now, while it's, while it's always good news to hear that we're, we're healthy, the news that Paul writes about here in, in the book of Galatians is even better news than that. Really, it's the best news that, that we could ever hear. So look at what he says, starting in verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now these verses, they, they certainly serve as an introduction here to the letter, but, but they also tell us something that, that, is, that is really important. They present to us the content of the gospel. And the gospel tells us that Jesus gave himself for our sins. And that sacrifice was necessary because we are we're sinners. Now, if you've been at church in any, any length of time, you, you've probably heard the term sinner. And you've probably heard that term defined possibly as, as one who misses the mark. And while that's not necessarily a wrong way to, to define that, I, I think that, I think that it, it actually misses the mark itself by saying that we are just people who are missing the mark. You see, sinners are those who live in rebellion to God. And living in rebellion, it involves more than just breaking some rules every now and again. You see, when we use that definition that, that, that we are just missing the mark, it, it, it kind of implies that there are times when we are actually hitting the mark, where, where we are actually living in the way that God wants us to live. But, but that's simply not true if we haven't come to Christ yet. You see, before we come to Christ, before we are saved, before we are released from the bondage of sin and, and Satan, uh, we live in active rebellion against God. Every, every moment that we are not willing to submit our lives to God, every moment that we think that we can do things better than God, we are rebelling against God. And if you remember a while back, we, we had that series in a and I use the idea that, that we want to be the, the big K king. And, and that's exactly what we're doing before we come to faith in Christ. We are living as the big K king. We are living in rebellion to God. And so it's not just as if we have missed the mark a little bit. We are living in complete rebellion against God. And that is not a good thing. You see, God is, is holy and, and, that, and we're not. If we're living in rebellion to him, if we are sinners, we are, we are not holy. And, and God is someone who is holy, cannot be in the presence of those who are unholy. Which means that as rebels, as sinners, we are due to face God's 
punishment. We are due to face his wrath. We, we will be cast out of his presence for all of eternity, and we will live for all of eternity outside of the realm of God. But, and here's the good news, because, you know, that, that of course, that we just talked about is, is bad news, right? It's bad news whether Hollywood glorifies it as something that is good news or not, right? You have these, these bad characters in movies, and they're like, well, I'll see you in hell, right? That's, that's not good news, right? You don't want to see somebody in hell one day. But the good news is that Jesus came, and Jesus gave himself for us. In other words, he, he took this, this punishment that, that we deserve on the cross. The, the Father's wrath was, was poured out on Jesus. The very wrath that was reserved for us, Jesus took that on our behalf. And all of those who are simply willing to admit that they are sinners, that they are people who live in rebellion against God, all of those who are to admit that they are sinners who are, who are willing to repent of their sin. And repentance means that we do a 180, right? We are walking in one direction, and the direction that we are walking in is away from God. We are walking in the direction to live our own life by our own means. And we say, you know what? That's not how it is. That's not how it should be. I should be following the Lord. I should allow Him to direct my life. I should, I should listen to what He has to say, and His wisdom should be what directs my life. And so we turn from doing things our own way, from following the ways of the world, from following our own way, and we turn and we begin to walk towards the Lord and allow Him to direct our lives. You see, we, we come down off of our throne as the big K king, and we place God there, and we allow Him to direct our lives. That's what it looks like for us to repent. And all of those who are willing to admit they are sinners, who, who would repent and who would believe that, that it's Jesus alone who provides us with salvation, that it is His sacrifice alone that provides us with salvation, and that He resurrected from the dead as the first fruits of a new life to come. If we would believe that, then we experience salvation. And salvation involves peace with God. You see, we no longer have to worry that we're going to be that, that we're going to be punished, right? We now have peace with God. We go from, you know, people who are enemies of God to being children of God. As well as salvation involves release from sin's penalty, which is, which is death. A alongside this, this peace with God and this release from death, salvation also involves deliverance from this present evil age. And this is what Paul is, is talking about here, that Jesus has come and he has delivered us from this present evil age. And so what does that represent? What is this present evil age? Well, it's marked by sin. It's marked by the control of Satan, and it's marked by just general decay. But Jesus has released us from this. Now, we do, of course, experience the effects of sin. We, we experience general decay. Christians still get sick. We, both, we get hurt, both physically and, and emotionally. We experience death, but, but we are delivered from it because we no longer are under the bondage of sin and we have life eternal in this perfect kingdom for which to look forward to. As well as we're no longer controlled by Satan. Satan is no longer our, our master. 
We, we, we are no longer a part of his kingdom. When we come to faith in Christ, in Colossians it talks about this, we are, we are literally transferred out of his kingdom into the kingdom of light, into Jesus' kingdom, and he becomes our master. We're freed from bondage and slavery. And this leads one commentator to say that, that Christ died for our sins and justifies us by faith should not be reduced to a subjective existentialist interpretation. In other words, the salvation that Jesus provides actually has real-world implications. It's not just some thoughts that we have. It's not just some existential thing that is out there. We, we are actually going to have real-world implications when it comes to our belief in the gospel. And we're going to talk about these real-world implications as we begin to walk through the book of Galatians. But for now, I want you to see that the gospel, the good news is that we are saved from God's anger and the penalty of sin and its bondage all through our belief and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. And one thing that, that should be apparent as, as we have walked through the, the definition of the gospel is that we are saved by Jesus' work on our behalf. We don't, we don't contribute anything to our salvation. It is, it is Jesus alone. It is Jesus alone who provides us with salvation, hence the tagline for this series. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If we, if we add anything to Jesus' work, then it doesn't equal everything. It equals nothing. Jesus plus something equals nothing, but Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's what we have to rest on. That's what we have to rely and we, we, we have to rest on that fact and it's hard for us to do that because we often think that we need to do something but we but we don't Jesus plus nothing equals everything and that's an important message especially in the book of Galatians now hearing that you might wonder well okay that's the gospel this is what what Paul is is saying here but but how can we trust Paul how, how do we know that that is the gospel. Why? Why not trust some of the other people who are who, who Paul is writing against in Galatia, this the circumcision party, the Judaizers. We'll talk about those in a moment. Why not? Why not trust them instead of Paul? Why trust Paul? Well, I believe we can trust Paul' message because of what he says in verse one. This is really an introduction to the letter, but but he's telling us who he is. He's telling us how he came to faith in Christ. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And see, Paul tells us that, that he is an apostle. And an apostle was, was someone who was appointed by Jesus to be his messenger and deliver his message to his people. And Paul wasn't appointed as an apostle by other men or, or through people, through men. He, he was physically appointed as apostle by Jesus Christ himself. And how Paul's appointment took place is, is miraculous, right? See, see, Paul did not grow up as in a Christian family. Paul was one of the biggest persecutors of Christians before he became one of the biggest proponents of Christianity. 
Paul was, was literally walking to Damascus with a letter in hand that, that said that he could, he could kill Christians. But Jesus intercepts him. And he blinds him. And he has this amazing experience on, on the Damascus road. And Jesus, at that point, releases him from the bondage and the blindness of the world. And he shows him the light. He shows him that he really is the Christ. That he really is the, the Messiah. And Paul believes. And Paul's life completely absolutely changes there's a 180 that takes place he goes from from someone who was persecuting christians to to those to, to someone who is being persecuted himself for for preaching about christ and this is such a drastic change in the churches that the people are just like there's this guy paul and and he's and he's here like we're really not sure if we should trust what he is he's saying because he's killing all of these christians and now he's here and and he's and he's advocating for christ but there's this massive change that took place in paul's life skip down to to verse 11 for i would have you know brothers that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, he personally received this message from Jesus himself. Jesus personally preached the gospel to Paul. And this isn't a gospel that was made but by man. Rather, it's a gospel that was given to Paul directly by Jesus. Paul believed this. He gave up his former life, and he even ended up dying for the gospel. And so I think that this, these actions that, that take place in Paul's life, the change that takes place, his willingness to actually give up his life and to experience the hardship, because he, he was on track to you know, have, have a comfortable life. But he, 180, ends up jail, you know, beatings, and then ends up being killed for the gospel. You see, the gospel that Paul preached was the true gospel given him by Jesus once it changed his life, and it's the gospel that we should believe. But the message was distorted in Galatia. And so we've got to figure out how. how. How was this message distorted? How was the gospel changed? Well, Paul, starting in verse 6, says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul just like launches in. I mean, we're six verses in. We're like, you know, two paragraphs into this. And he's like, I am astonished at you guys. This is absolutely crazy. I can't believe what you guys are doing, what you guys are believing. You see, the gospel was being distorted in Galatia by a group known as the Judaizers, or Paul's going to refer to several times throughout this letter as the circumcision party. Essentially, they were teaching that the Gentiles had to accept circumcision and, and possibly some other aspects of the law alongside their belief in Jesus in order to experience salvation. And while it was a small change, Right? It, was, it was a change nonetheless, a change that made all the difference. Remember, the gospel tells us that we can do nothing and we don't have to do anything to earn our salvation. That's right. All we have to do is believe in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. But here, this change is taking place. 
You see, the circumcision party, and they, they, they thought that they had to, um, or we often think, excuse me, that we have to earn our salvation, that we, that we have to do something. And it's just kind of, it's kind of ingrained in us. And here uh, in, in Galatia, it was, it was circumcision. It's possibly some of these dietary laws, but, but sometimes we, we add things to the gospel, right? There in Galatia, it's that. In the church today, it might be baptism, right? You, you've got you to be baptized in order to be saved. Or maybe we, we would add and we would say, you've got to change how you are living before you can come to faith in Christ. And people often believe this, right? Like, I've got to get my life right before I can come to church, before I can call myself a believer. Now, of course, our life is going to change when we come to faith in Christ, but but, but our life changes because we have come to faith in Christ. You see, it is the, the coming to Christ first that then produces the change in our life because it is our, our heart, our will, our desire, our wants. All of those things change when we become believers, which then should necessitate a change in our actions. But, but we can't just change our actions if that hasn't taken place. But oftentimes we will say, hey, you need to change a certain behavior. Or maybe it's the way that you dress. Or maybe it's the way that you talk. You've got to dress a certain way, wear certain clothes, or you've got, you got to talk a certain way before you can come to faith in Christ. Or maybe we would say that somebody needs to change their political affiliation before they can come to faith in Christ. Or, or maybe we would say, well, all you have to do is you just got to be a good and loving person, and, and then, you know, you're, you're a Christian. I mean, there are a number of different ways that we can either replace the gospel or, or we can add things to the gospel. And that's just a short list. I mean, you can come up with all kinds of stuff that people will put next to a belief and trust in Jesus alone. And they'll add that to it to say, well, you got to do this. you got to do that in order to come to faith in Christ. But that is absolutely untrue. When we do that, we are changing the gospel. We are di distorting the gospel. We are acting just like the Judaizers, just like the circumcision party when we add anything to belief and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and say, you have to do that in order to be saved. But we shouldn't change the gospel. And we shouldn't do that because the gospel hasn't changed. And how do we know that? How do we know that the gospel hasn't changed? Well, we know the gospel hasn't changed because God himself hasn't changed, which means the way that he relates to us hasn't changed. And this is, this is huge. See, Scripture testifies to this idea. In Psalms 33, 11, we read, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. There's no change that takes place. Then in Isaiah says, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He doesn't change. In the New Testament, James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, God doesn't change. And since God doesn't change, the way that we experience salvation hasn't changed and will not change. And God himself, in Malachi 3.6 testifies to this when he says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You see, it was really good news for the Israelites that God did not change because the Israelites were 
sinful people. The Israelites were always trying to be the big K king. They were always living in rebellion to God, even though they were God's chosen people. They were God's people that he blessed, that that he worked through, that he provided with salvation over and over and over again as he delivered them from the hands of the nations around them, as he poured out his special blessing on them. They continued to rebel against him over and over again and over. But you know what? God did not change. God made a covenant with them and God has remained faithful to that covenant promise to be their God and for them to be his, his people. And because of that, they are not consumed. And so it is good news that God does not change, that he does not forget his promises. And so the way that we experience salvation doesn't change. It hasn't changed. It's always been through faith in the promised Messiah. In the Old Testament, it was, it was looking forward to the Messiah who was going to come. And now it is us looking back to the cross and seeing that the Messiah has come and he, and he did do all of what, the, what Scripture points to. You see, all of Scripture points to Jesus. All of Scripture points to His sacrifice on the cross for our sins from from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And then in Revelation, we see that Jesus is going to return. And Jesus is going to set up this perfect kingdom that has been promised from the very beginning. And Jesus will set this world right. See, the gospel, the good news hasn't changed. God hasn't changed the way He relates to us, the way we experience salvation hasn't changed changed. But even though God and his gospel has changed, man decides that we need to change the gospel. But that's something we shouldn't do. And so why is that? Why shouldn't we change the gospel? Well, as I've already alluded to, changing the gospel makes salvation impossible. If we're forced to rely on our own works, we will not experience salvation. But oftentimes we think that that we have to do something in order to experience salvation. And it's just because this is how life works, right? When I was in college, um, I let my credit card get a little bit out of control. We talked about this in the past, um, but I let my credit card get a little bit out of control. I, I just worked at the climbing wall. It was a great job. It was super fun. I mean, I basically went to work and, and climbed, and I got paid for it. Um, this is awesome. But I didn't make enough money to pay off all this debt that I was amassing on my credit card. And I kept saying, you know, when I get a job, I'll pay it off. When I get a job out of college, I'll pay it off. And when I got a job out of college, I did pay it off. Now, you listen to some recent sermons. Um, I, after I paid it off, I, I got some more debt and thought I'd pay it off again. And, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. But this is how we often think about the gospel, that, that we owe this debt to God. And we've got to work to pay it off, just like we've got to work to pay off our credit card, that debt that we Mass. But that's not how it works. That is not how it works at all. God doesn't accept our work as payment towards our debt. He only accepts the work of Jesus on our behalf. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. You see, it was Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf that gave us peace. It was His sacrifice that delivered us. It wasn't our works. It was Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. And that's the case because that's how God designed it. Notice He says, this is according to the will of our God and Father. Again, God doesn't change. He, he always requires 
payment for sin, and we cannot pay that debt, but Jesus can. See, if we change the gospel to a works-based system, then we make salvation impossible because God does not accept our work. He doesn't allow us to pay off our own debt. We can't do that. Next, we see that changing the gospel leaves us with a disturbed conscience. Verse 7, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The idea here is that changing the gospel doesn't, doesn't help us. Instead, it actually hurts us. Paul tells us that these folks are troubling the Galatians. It, it troubles them. It troubles us because a works-based system actually produces emotional distress. It makes us uneasy because we just, we don't know where we stand with God. And, and you, you could see this, right? When you go and you talk to some folks, uh, especially people who believe in a works-based system, and you ask them, how, how, how are you doing? How are you doing emotionally? How are you going, doing mentally? Uh, how, how are you doing in relation to, to your uh, relationship with God? How do you know? And they'll often say things like, you know, I, I hope that I have done enough. I hope that I have done enough that, that when I stand before God, He will, he will accept me. And, and they're constantly trying. They're constantly working to do more and more and more. They live with an emotional distress. You, you see, switching the gospel to a workspace system does not ease our conscience. It actually produces a burden. It burdens us. It leaves us with a disturbed conscience. Next, we see that changing the gospel means that we are delivered from bondage. In verse 4, Paul tells us that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. You see, if we add works to the gospel, that means we don't understand or we, we don't believe the gospel. We aren't trusting in Jesus as our Savior, which means that he has not delivered us from bondage. And since we can't deliver ourselves from bondage, we end up remaining in bondage. Satan remains our master. We remain his slaves. We are still enslaved to sin. We can't help but sin. We can't help but rebel against God. We are in chains to that. and We cannot break those chains on our own. And so if we distort the gospel, then we remain in bondage. And that's a sad state in which to exist. Next, we see that changing the gospel means that we are taking worship away from God. In verse 5, Paul tells us that our salvation should result in God's glory forever and ever and ever. But if we make salvation a work that we do, what happens is we actually still worship away from God. We're worshiping ourselves. We're saying, you know, I was smarter than the guy down the street. You know, I, 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 I believed in Jesus and I, and I did this alongside of that. Or, you know, and I'm, I'm better than this person over here because look at all the things that I've been able to do. I have been able to earn my salvation. Why can't they? And then what happens? We begin to, to elevate ourselves because we have done X. Whatever it is that we're adding to the gospel, however we're distorting the gospel, we have done that thing. And so we look at others and we think we're better than them. And what happens is we don't recognize just how sweet and how precious the gospel is. Just how valuable the good news that Jesus saves us. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen. And we don't 
We're not, we don't stand in all of that. And because we don't stand in all of that, we don't, we don't worship God in the way that, that, that we could be worshiping the Lord if we believe that, if we truly believe the gospel. See, adding things to the gospel steals worship away from God and it places worship on ourselves. Lastly, we see that changing the gospel means that we will face a curse. In verse 8, Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. The idea is that, that those who change the gospel will face a curse and that curse is eternal damnation or as one commentator puts it to be anathematized then means far more than to be excommunicated it means nothing less than to suffer the eternal retribution and judgment of god i don't know about you but i don't want to suffer the eternal retribution and and judgment of god but if we're adding something to the gospel if we are we are thinking it's jesus plus something then that's exactly what it is you see, we cannot say that we are a Christian if we are adding some sort of work to the gospel. We, we are not covered by Jesus' blood if we are adding some sort of work to the gospel. It is, it is Jesus alone that provides us with salvation. And we must humble ourselves and we must recognize that we are not the ones who can save ourselves, but it is only Jesus. And when we do that, we'll be released from bondage. When we do that, we will experience true salvation. Our, our consciences will not be disturbed. When we do that, we will praise and we will worship God in a way that we wouldn't if we did not believe the gospel. You see, changing the gospel isn't a good idea. Even though we are experiencing massive change in our world, even though society is, is constantly on this trajectory towards progression, progressing, and we cannot be, as Christians, people who are seeking to progress. Like, progressive Christianity is not Christianity at all. That's right. right? We have to rest on and rely on the foundation that Jesus alone is our Savior. We have got to believe what the Scriptures say, and we have to continue to believe what the Scriptures say. Right? We are not in the business of changing those things. It is the bedrock of our faith. And with it being the bedrock of our faith, we have got to believe that. And if we don't, then our faith changes. If we want to have hope in this dark world, if we want to be able to offer hope to our neighbors and to our community and to our state and to this nation and to the world, then we have to continue to believe the gospel as it is presented to us in God's word. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And it's my prayer that as we walk through this book, as we walk through this series, and we will have a greater understanding of what that means, and we will have an understanding of how that affects our life, because Jesus plus nothing really does equal everything. Now, if you're a Christian here today, you're, you're watching, and you would say, hey, I'm a believer. Well, the way that you can respond to this message today is, is by believing that, is by resting in Jesus alone, by believing truly that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if you're not a believer and you're watching, man, you can respond in the same way. You can put away the idea that, that you have to work your way to Christ, that you have to clean yourself up, that there's something that you have to do. And you can rest in Jesus too. You can believe that Jesus, plus nothing, does equal everything. See, Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus is our hope. Won't you turn to Jesus today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for...
this time to gather, though virtually, but a time to gather. And Lord, we ask that you would help us this week as we, as we think about it and we reflect on this message. Help us to understand that, that Jesus really is the one that we need to trust in alone. That he really is the one who provides us with salvation. And God, if there's someone here uh, who, is, who is watching this morning who doesn't know you, Lord, ask God that you would do a work in their life. That you would help them to see that, that it's not their works. They don't have to clean themselves up. That they can come to Jesus just as they are. And they can submit their life to him. And believe that he is their Savior. And experience salvation today. Lord, we ask, God, that you would work in their life so that it might be the case. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.